but if you don't, it'll be gone the next day. But the next morning, uh, you'll get 86400 more dollars. It never carries over, but it's always there. What would you do? Probably you would make time every day to go by your bank. That's what I would guess. Uh, and the Lord has given us 86,400 seconds of every single day. And uh, we can use them, or we can waste them, but we never get them back. And we have new ones tomorrow, but the ones that are gone are gone. Uh, how do we use our time? Well, Psalm 90 is very much a psalm about using our time wisely for the glory of the Lord. In it, we have terms, we read days and years and generations and eternity and before and after and everlasting and yesterday and at night and in the morning, all kinds of terms of time. So it talks about time. And the, it's the, the only psalm that Moses wrote, and it's a, it's a psalm of how we use our time wisely. We have the highlight of the main verse really as a prayer. Um, the, whole, the whole psalm is a prayer in a lot of senses, but the highlight of that is found in verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom or a heart of understanding, how do I live my days? You know, how do I make the best use of my time for the glory of the Lord? How am I a good, to be a good steward of that time? Now, that's not only the theme of the Old Testament and Moses in the psalm. It's also a theme of Paul in the New Testament. And we can look at that in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Paul says it this way. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise men. And we just read that, give me a heart of wisdom in this. Making the best use of my time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name, name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so making the best use of my time and your time and our time corporately, uh, that we may present to God a heart of wisdom in the way we do that. That's what's before us today. Before we go further, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word that is open before us that we can think through and uh, dialogue about and investigate and evaluate. And Father, help uh, the, the Spirit come in and lead us into all truth that our hearts would be changed, and that we would change our days, our moments, our lives, our months. Um, Father, to give to you a heart of wisdom in our living, not to live for ourselves any longer, or less and less at least for ourselves, and may we glorify you in living our lives for the glory of Christ. Amen. Uh, so we're going to see, uh, uh, this is kind of a brief outline, it's not on the screen, if you're a note taker, you can jot it down. Verses 1 and 2, uh, Moses tells us who God is. This is who God is. Verses 3 through 6, he moves and shows us a contrast to who man is, particularly in light of eternity and time, uh, the contrast is shown. Verses 7 through 11, uh, he tells us what is due to man, um, and, then the, and also what is due to God. So those verses have two things in it. Uh, what is due man? because of who he is, and what is due God because of who he is. And then uh, verse 12 is, is a kind of a transition. It's, it's the prayer. Uh, because God, uh, everything is due God, teach us to number our days that we could live our days for him. Um, and that's a, a verse 12 is a prayer. And then verses 13 through 17 is how we can start 
maybe living our days for the Lord and not for ourselves. So he begins with who is God? And uh, in verses 1 and 2, and verse 1 says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place to all generations. Now that would have meant a lot more to them than it does to us today. This is Moses' writing. If you remember, Moses was an Israelite. He was born an Israelite, but he grew up in Egypt, right? He grew up the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And so uh, he felt disconnected and displaced. He wasn't with his brothers, and, and he felt that. Um, and uh, he was in a, a country that had different gods and different beliefs and, and, and different ways of living. And he was, um, when, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He wanted to be identified with the people of God rather than to have all the pleasures that he could have had as um, Pharaoh's daughter. Acts 7 tells us a little bit about it. It says this. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he uh, defeated an opposed man and avenged him uh, by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them, and as they were quarreling, and uh, tried to re- reconcile, he tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled, and he became an exile in the land of Median, where he became the father of two sons. So, yeah, Moses was an Israelite. He grew up in Egypt in a foreign land. He didn't have a real home there, not a permanent place to dwell. He was never like, this is home. I feel at home here. And uh, do you think that he really was thinking about that? Well, we know that he was because in the foreign country of Median, he had two sons, and the firstborn was named Gershom, and it means this, a sojourner here. here. And so Moses knew, like, I have no place. I have no home. I'm, I'm not an Egyptian. I'm not with my people in Israel. I'm out in the wilderness of Median. Oh, man, I'm just a sojourner here. And at the time of the writing of this psalm, he's actually in, in the, the wilderness, not in the promised land with all his people. So even then, and even there, he didn't have a permanent place, and he was never going to have one here on this earth. Well, if you remember, God called a man named Abraham, and he called him out of his home, and he said, I'm going to give you a new home, a promised land. But all the days that Abraham lived on this earth, at least, he never saw that promised land. So he never had a home here. Here are some terms that uh, the Bible um, says about God's people, Israel. It says they're wanderers, they're slaves, they're nomads, they're aliens, they're strangers, they're pilgrims. And yet the very first thing that Moses said is the Lord has been our dwelling place from generation to generation. That's great news. And, you know, did they really have a secure place to dwell in a home? Absolutely. But it wasn't here on this earth. It was in God. And he proclaims and says, God, you've been our dwelling place. And then he tells us more about that dwelling place. He says this and. um Verses, verse 2, before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and to the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, your God. And he's connecting verse 2 to verse 1. You've been our dwelling place. And then he gives us these great metaphors for how long he's been our 
dwelling place and how good that is. When we try to um, encourage one another, it's like, man, my, my feet are like on a rock, like on a firm foundation. That's like a, a, a metaphor of strength. And God takes it to another step. You might have heard like, man, you're a mountain of a man. People tell me that, and I'm wondering, are they talking about how big I am, or I don't really know. But God says before the mountains were born, he was. He's always been, and he's always been our dwelling place. He continues, and he gives us a bigger metaphor, and he says the next thing, God's stability and his strength, the place to live, it's better than the earth of the world. Before it ever existed, the God that we dwell in was. That's our God. He doesn't stop there. And God uh, says, don't mess this. He says, uh, uh, he will be under all, above all, before all, and after all. He says, from everlasting until everlasting, he's God. And in the English language, we call that a merism. And a merism is saying the first of things and the last of things in ways that mean that everything in between is, is, is it too. Basically, he's saying from everlasting uh, to everlasting, from um, from before time began until uh, days without end, he's our dwelling place. Man, that's who God is. So it talks about the eternality of God, that God is eternal and that God is our dwelling place. We're made to dwell in him. In John fourteen twenty, it says, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. We were made to dwell in God. And Philippians three twenty says this, for our citizenship um, or our dwelling place, you could say, is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, God has made himself to be our dwelling place, and we can rejoice in that. He's faithful day after day after day. Now, in contrast to who God is, he's existed days without end. Uh, from a, a timeless beginning to days without end, he's God, and he's there. In contrast to his man, and we read that in verses 3 through 6. It says this. You turn man back into dust and say, Return, old children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward the evening it fades and it withers away. So we see here, the first thing we see is Moses understood that our time is in his hands. He's already said our habitation is in his hands. Our habitation is in him. But now he says our times are in his hands. And there's some good news here. Do you know that uh, God, no, no, nobody can take us away a day before our time. Nobody can. And you'll hear people say all the time, man, he was taken away just too quickly. Well, not according to this text. God's not, he's going to take us away only when he says it's time. And that's good news for you and me, no matter what time it is. I was uh, at a funeral of a very young child when I was, I had probably early 30s. And the family was sitting to my left. I was up there doing a little part of the funeral, but not the primary part. And the pastor who was doing the primary part looked at the family and he said, I want you to know that God did not intend for your child to die at such an early age. And I was like, there's no help and hope in that. And it's also wrong. God is a God who doesn't take anyone before their time, uh, and he takes them at the right time. And that's what he says here. Our times are in his hands. Our habitation is in his hands. And then he gives this big contrast. 
that God is eternal, uh, he exists forever, and yet our days are very few, and they're fleeting, at least the ones here on earth. And he gives us some illustrations of that. He, he says that a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. Now, a lot of things happen in 30 years, a whole lot of stuff. I mean, 30 years ago, you would have to drive to a gas station, uh, have a quarter or a dime, probably a dime, in your pocket and uh, to be able to place a call back to uh, home, right? And let people know where you're going. You know, 30 years ago, you would have had to look at a map and actually follow directions of a paper map. And now you try to do that and you're like, I don't even know what, you know, how to do this. If you don't have your GPS, it's forget it. A lot of things happen in 30 years. And yet, um, honestly, our, our years go by fast. If I ask you guys, anybody that's 50 or older, like, do the years fly by? Every one of you would say, absolutely. If you're like young, you were like, no, sometimes they're really boring long days. But you'll see, one day, they'll fly by. And I really believe this with all my heart. Methuselah uh, lived longer than any other man, 969 years. I really believe if you ask him when he was 960 years old, and if he knew he was dying in nine years, I think he would have said, man, my life has flown by. I really believe that. I really believe he would have done that. My li- our, our days are quick. He also uses another metaphor. It's like a watch in the night. Our days are like a little three-hour window in the night. You know, and a watch in the night, you're like longing for the day to come, and the day comes, and okay, finally, that, that wasn't too bad. Our, our, our time is quick. And then he, then he uses, it says like a flood, uh, that it's like they're swept away. And if you guys know the power of a flood, you know, it moves mountains, right? You go to Niagara Falls, and you see the canyons that are made by the water. Our, our lives are just swept away uh, very quickly. Uh, there's no stopping it. No stopping death. Um, I like what somebody said, no weightlifting, no facelifting, no tummy uh, tucking, and no enemy ducking can keep it away, right? Nothing can keep it away. It's coming. In Job, it says uh, our, our life is like a dream. We, we think it's something, and then we, we wake up. Yeah, it's gone just very quickly in the morning. You can't even remember your dreams most of the time how fast it goes. And then the last illustration he says here, it's like grass that withers away. And I was thinking about uh, some flowers that we have outside our house, and I was thinking, what are they called? They're called daylilies. And I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting, a daylily, because they come up and they're there for a day, and they're gone. Well, I, did, I Google searched this. I thought this was really interesting. Daylilies are a classification of flower called Homericalis. Homericalis is two Greek, wor- uh, two Greek words. You know what they mean? Day and beautiful. They're beautiful for a day. Then they're gone. And our life is like that. We come and it's beautiful for a day. Then we get old and it gets a little uglier with sin and brokenness and then, then we're done. Uh, very quick. And um, our life here is but a breath. Uh, and it ends, it says, with a sigh. That's it. We'll see that in a minute. Uh, then, then we go to what do we deserve? God's eternal, we're not eternal. And the days that we live here, we live for ourselves and not for his glory. So what does man deserve? We read that in verses 7 and 8. It says this, uh, For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Um, Because in these brief days, we turn away from him. We try to capture all we can in these brief days, but we try to capture them for us. We live a lot of those for our glory and 
for our satisfaction and we turn away, what do we deserve? Well, uh, we deserve his anger completely, his wrath. Why is that? It says here why. Because even our hidden things and thoughts are seen before him. In Hebrews, uh, I don't know if I have that one up there. Maybe I do, maybe I, I don't. But in Hebrews 4, verse 12, it says that the word of God is living and active and is sharper than a two-edged sword, and it divides us, and it gets in there, and it actually sees the motives of our heart. You know, it even knows that maybe you're going to all the Bible studies and reading the Word so you can get a better life or out of a certain situation, not just to see and glory in the beauty of Christ. You know, we even do our best things are like filthy rags, the Scripture said. In the very next verse, in verse 13 of Hebrews 4, it says that, that the, the Word of God cuts us open and we're open and we're laid bare before Him from whom we have to give an account. Ah, oh, it is up there. I did change it on your copy. Sorry about that. Uh, no creature is hidden before his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Um, man, that's crazy. You've got to give an account for the way you live your days. And that's a scary thing because if you're like me, you live most of your days for you and for your interests. And I live most of my days, most of my conversations, most of my relationships to see what I can get out of it. And even when I'm living to see what they can get out of it, it's got a taint in it <laughs> because it's like I'm living for you now why don't you give back to me and if you don't start giving back to me I'm finally going to say like man forget this I'm not getting anything out of it so teach us to number our days that we can present to God a heart of wisdom in the way that we live verses 9 through 11 continues the idea of what's due to, to um, man and what's due to God it says this for all our days have declined in your fury we have finished our years like a sigh as for the days of our life, they contain 70 years and a few strength, 80 years, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For sooner it's going to fly away. Um, who understands the power of your anger and the fury and your fury according to the fear that is due to you? God condemns an entire nation of people. Moses wrote this. He's writing in the wilderness. And if you do the calculations of how many people uh, the, the the commentators and the scholars think were there in the Israelite community um, that did not make it into the promised land, during those 40 years, they had about 82 people a day die, every single day. 82 people die, 82 people die, 82 people die, 82, just all the time, all that. So, and, and those people um, didn't see the promised land. It says that our years are 70 years, and if we have strength, they're like 80 years. Um, if you're like me, and you know, like, like getting closer to, toward the end, we start thinking of them a little bit more. But then it says our, our days are like a sigh, we end like a sigh, uh, and their pride is but labor and sorrow. And what, what he's saying here is like all our days, they're few and they're sorrowful. And uh, you're like, really? And do we see that in Scripture? Are they supposed to be that way? Well, to Job, he said what? If you know Job, he said, curse the day of my birth. Um, Jacob said this, few and unpleasant have been all my days. Solomon said, my days are meaningless, meaningless. They're all meaningless. And Moses here says the same thing. And honestly, outside of Christ and outside of our uh, knowing him and being in Christ, that's all we could say about our days. We might have a really good one and we feel real connected and real satisfied, but then we have to maintain that to be satisfied again and again and again. So, Outside of a, a relationship with Christ, our, uh, our days are pretty laborious and pretty meaningless, ultimately so. 
And then it says in verse 11, um, who can understand the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due to you? This is important. What's due to man? Death. What's due to God? Everything. We, we see that in the greatest commandment, to love your God, Lord your God with what? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, but with all of you, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do we love him with everything? That's what's due to him. And this, what Moses is saying, who can understand what we deserve and his righteous anger? Who can understand just how righteous his anger is when we understand what is due to him, everything, versus what we give him, very little, or the leftovers? It's like, if we can understand what's due to him, then we could begin just a little bit to understand his anger. And he said, who can understand that? And then he says this, a prayer, teach us to number our days, that we can live them for you. In light of what's due to you, God, that's what he's saying. In light of what's due our Lord, everything, in light of that, would you teach me to number my days and live them that way? Because I'm not doing it. That's what he's saying in this section. Um, Spurgeon says this, Holy Scripture, when it depicts God's wrath, against sin, never uses hyperbola. It would be impossible to exaggerate it. For the power of God's anger is in hell and would be on earth, would it not be restrained by his mercy? No man living can rightly conceive it. It baffles, uh, it baffles words and leaves imagination far behind. Spurgeon's saying, if we understood what's due our Lord, it only makes sense that he's righteously angry. It only makes sense that we deserve his wrath only. Now, uh, that's where we are. That's what we deserve, according to what's due his name. Uh, so, the, Moses says, would you teach us to number our days that we can live it for you, what's due to you? If you remember back to September 11th, 2000, 2000, 2001, 2001, right after that, uh, if you remember this, tons and tons of churches all across America were filled to the brim for about seven weeks. And then they, you know, went back to their normal stuff. So for very little bit of time, they started understanding oh, it's just a little bit of what it means to turn to the Lord, and then they went their own way. Um, what does it mean to teach us to number our days? I don't think it means to teach us how many days we have. We already know they're 70 or 80-ish. He's already told us that. It's not a matter of deciding how long you're going to live. We kind of all want to know that. What he's saying is number them in light of what you need to do with them. Prioritize them. Prioritize them to live them for the Lord your God. Whom, who, de, who deserves and is due all things. And then in the NIV, it says, uh, teach us to number our days aright. Help us to get them right, what we're supposed to do there. And uh, every, every season, everything you do and everything you say has eternity stamped in it. Do you know that? Every, every word that we utter has eternity stamped in it. And it can, a lot of things we could say there. Number one, you have to give an account for it. In fact, the scriptures say every idle word that you utter, we have to give an account for. Not just all the words, but even the ones we say, you know, like on the side, that we whisper. Even our thoughts, we have to give an account for those. So eternity is important, but they also have an eternal value. The words we use with people, well, those people exist forever, right? So as we get to know one another, even if, uh, like you guys, you're my brothers and my sisters in Christ, and the words that we spend and time we spend together is not very much, but every little bit helps and counts because I'm going to know you for eternity. There's an eternity that, that way too. Okay, so this is a necessary prayer. Lord, teach us how to live our days out because uh, what's due you, we don't understand. 
And your anger against us for not living according to you, we don't understand that either. Let me give you some bullet points. How can we start living our days like that? How can we get this instruction? And we get them in uh, verses uh, 13 on. And I'll um, start with verse 13 on this. So if we can go back, we might have to skip a slide or two to get there. Dear eternal Lord, how long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. And what that's saying is be, have mercy on your servants. Oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing of joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years that we've seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to, to, her, to their children. Let the favor of the Lord God be upon us and confirm to us, for us, the work of our hands. Confirm the work of our hands. What this is saying is, okay, so how can we start gaining this wisdom on how to live? A couple of things. Verse 13 says we need to understand we need his mercy. Why do we need that? Because if we understood rightly what's due to him, to love him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind, I forgot that last time, and, and all of our strength, if we know that that's what's due him, all that we need is mercy. Why? Because we can't do that. We don't do that. We don't live for him. We live for us. So the first thing we need to say is, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on us. The second thing is this. It's like, help us to see that our satisfaction can only be in you and not from other things. Help us to be satisfied in you. Would you come, Lord, and satisfy us? Um, now, how does he satisfy? Verses uh, 14 and 15 talk about how he satisfies us. He satisfies us by, first of all, um, by, by having his works come before our face. We get his, he satisfies us by revealing who he is in the scriptures, by us seeing that he's our, our dwelling place from generation to generation. Even when we don't feel at home here and things are struggling, it's like, man, he's our, he's our home. Um, so uh, one way is in this is that we see his works, that he puts them before our face. We behold his beauty. And then that he also favors our work that he favors us and he confirms our work. This doesn't mean that he confirms our work in the sense that, oh, we labor and we deserve something. This is confirming our work, meaning that because of his work and our trusting in his work, then all our labors can be for his glory. And he confirms that. What, what that means is if he's called you to be an engineer, then be an engineer and he confirms the work, it's his, glo it's his glory because you're not trying to count it for yourself. You know, teach us to number our days and our work and our activity that we can present them back to you. Um, what does that look like? Well, let me go back just for a few minutes, and I, I forgot to put this on the overhead again, but it's in Ephesians chapter 5, 15 through 20. What does it look like? Um, we talked a little bit about how to get it. How do we get that uh, numbering our days rightly? Well, first of all, we have mercy. Uh, second of all, we see that God puts his work before us, that we look at his word, and we see the beauty of him, and we start living for him and not for ourselves. Um, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says the love of Christ moves us to live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. What controls us? The love of Christ. That means we need to see his love before our faces day after day, week after week. We need to behold the beauty of the Lord and see that all, is, all life is due to him. Um, so again, from Ephesians 5, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise man, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So first of all, to, to walk in his ways, we have to understand what is the will of the Lord for my days? 
We've got to know the scriptures. We need the Spirit to move us to that. And then this is part of the will of the Lord. It says it right in the scriptures. Don't get drunk with wine. You know, don't, don't be all about filling yourselves up with your own satisfaction. Don't be about all your glory and all your pleasures. Be about the pleasures and glory of the Lord. Um, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ to God the Father. Um, what, what are we supposed to be doing with our days? You know, a lot of times you start, you hear these people like, you spend a lot of time thinking about the Lord and too much time doing this, and you're holier than now when you talk about the scriptures. Well, what's the normal thing for the Christians to do? To be talking about God's word together. To be singing God's word to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. To make melody, and then it says a little phrase to in your hearts. So within and without, we're supposed to be living for him. You know, it's not radical to be thinking your thoughts uh, about the Lord day in, day out, and turning your attention to him and talking about his word to one another. That's just the normal Christian living. That's what's expected. That's what's due him. That's not radical or, you know, uh, it is holy, but it's not a holy in the sense of holier than thou. It's what we're called to do. It's what's due his name. So do you guys do that? Do you guys sing to one another psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and discuss those things? Um, so uh, we, we've talked a little bit about how to get it, a little bit about what it looks like. Um, but there's a little bit more about how to get it, and we'll end with that. That's the idea of having mercy. We don't deserve it. You know, we don't, we don't deserve uh, him teaching us to number our days because we've already shown that in all our days, our best stuff, and we live for ourselves, and our best stuff is filthy rags before his sight, but a couple of things, Jesus, uh, in Jesus, we can have our days numbered to live for him. Jesus did not have a permanent home here. He didn't have a place to lay his head. And because he didn't have a permanent home here, uh, he didn't call us to that permanent home here. He called us to a permanent home of, in himself to dwell in him. And so because Jesus didn't have a permanent home, he went and he made a place for us to dwell with him and in him. Now, Jesus also uh, didn't waste his time. You know, he made the most of it. What does that mean? He came to do the Father's will. And when he was tempted to do other things, he's like, no, I have to be about what? My Father's business. Well, we're called, we have to be about our Father's business, and we're not. But Jesus is about his father, Father's business, and you know, because of that, you and I can be, because we're in Christ. And lastly, it says you don't understand uh, his righteous anger in the text. Because if we understood what is due him, then we understand we can't accomplish that. We don't understand, we don't really grasp, we don't understand the anger and wrath and judgment that you and I deserve. Now here's the good news for the believer. Jesus Christ took the hardest and deepest wrath of God, the full-blown wrath of God, so that you and I, even if we understood that we deserve it, we will never have to get it. Now, this, this, this psalm is not a troublesome, woe is me, my life is but a breath psalm. This psalm is not discouraging in and, uh, and, and the fullest sense. This, this psalm shows that God is the dwelling place for his people and that in Jesus Christ we'll never experience the full and final wrath of God. And because of those two things and that truth being brought before our eyes, we can say and we can pray as the psalmist did, O oh Lord, teach us to number our days, that we could present our hearts to you, a heart of wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that's before us. It's a uh, it is convicting. If we dwell on parts of it, it's very convicting. Our days are very quick, and we spend them all on us. Father, it's very convicting that your days are very long. They're eternal.
they're without end and they're without beginning and because of that you're due all things all the love of our hearts and all the love of our minds and all the love of our strength and yet we don't give it to you father have mercy and father we thank you that in jesus christ you do and so in christ we pray that you would teach us to number our days that you would show us the beauty of jesus and because you show us your works before our face because you have mercy on us father teach us to number our days that we can live them wisely and for your glory we ask these things in christ's name amen let's stand together and respond